All right, welcome to this episode of Every Damn Day. I'll be joined by my co-host, Kevin Broccoli, in just a second. Uh, It is a Friday when we're recording this, and it looks like it's finally the week where uh, all of the media outlets, even kind of sort of Fox, will finally admit that Donald Trump lost elections. So that's excellent news. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing? Oh, they just called Georgia, and I I got to tell you, this slow torture when you're on the other side of it is delicious. <laughs> I know, it's been really good. Well, we can get into a little bit of that later on. So I wanted to start with um, the death of uh, Alex Trebek, the longtime Jeopardy host who had been on air for 37 years as the host of Jeopardy. And it's funny because I'm just fascinated with the death of a celebrity and how it affects people. And I've, you know, I've reacted at times to celebrity deaths where it really impacts me. But, you know, in a case like Alex Trebek, like very good at his job, you know, people really liked him, you know, but he was a, you know, he was a game show host for all these years. And I'm just curious, like, what's your take on people's reaction to someone famous that they don't know passing? Well, I think his case is a little unique because, you know, I was trying to think of something similar to this. And the only thing I could think of was like Johnny Carson. But the difference was by the time Carson died, he had already been off the air for so long that, you know, it was there was a whole other generation that didn't even know who he was. Whereas like Jeopardy, like I have friends and so many people that I know and Jeopardy kind of had this weird resurgence lately where like all of a sudden it was cool to watch Jeopardy again. So I think the interesting thing is that Alex Trebek worked, I mean, his last episode, they haven't even finished airing all his episodes yet. Um, his, yeah. his last episode is going to be on Christmas. I think it's a little bit different with him because when you're, when you're on television every day and you're associated with this thing that people consider to be like comfort food, um, right. you know, I think it makes it that much more difficult for people. It's funny because I wrote it's funny because I wrote down the Johnny Carson comparison, because when you go back and watch Carson, you know, obviously he was really good at what he did. But when you go back and watch him, you know, he's kind of like a traffic cop, you know, running the show. And, you know, his his opening monologues weren't super funny or anything. He wasn't like super talented in any way. I think people were just comfortable with him. And I think that ends up being the thing if people are comfortable and they like watching him. And I think especially with Jeopardy, Jeopardy is, you know, maybe one of the last places on television that really celebrates intelligence. You know, it's 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 this thing that has never been dumbed down. And uh, yeah, I think I think for so many people, I think it's beautiful that his last episode is going to air on Christmas. I think that's really lovely. Um, And I would like to join the chorus of people saying LeVar Burton should take over. I think that's the best idea I've ever heard in my life. Um, Yeah. So I, I hope it happens. He tweeted about it um, yeah. and was very nice. But I, I just think that would be that would merge like the two comfort zone things. Right. Like reading Rainbow, <laughs> into, reading Rainbow into Jeopardy is like the greatest idea. I mean, like that's I, perfect. Yeah. The, the last thing I want to say in this and just in in terms of like if someone like when like a Muhammad Ali dies, you know, like someone that was clearly one of the best to ever do something versus say like. On Alex Trebek, again, who was, you know, like you say, great comfort food, but, you know, he was kind of just doing a game show, you know, and never really did anything else. I'm reminded once that Dana Carvey was talking about fame and he said that he said he would love to have a TV channel that did nothing but just focus. He said he would take like a, a particularly shaped grapefruit and put it um, in front of a camera and just leave it there for 24 hours a day. Like nothing would happen. And he said after about six months, 
if you went out into public and started carrying that grapefruit around, people would be like, oh, my God, look, it's the grapefruit that's on TV. It's the grapefruit that's on TV. So I just wonder how much of it is just the familiarity. and. Oh, I'm sure you know, that's a lot of it. You know, I do like that Alex Trebek dying um, was able to overshadow Sean Connery dying because why people were getting upset about Sean Connery noted wife, be proud wife beater dying was the most bewildering thing to me. And I think all of us who remember the Barbara Walters interview yeah. kind of had that choice to make, like, Oof, do we post that? You know, do we be that guy who's like, actually guys, but I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of stunned. I'm like in the era of cancel culture, are we actually being like, oh, Sean Connery? First of all, the man couldn't fucking act, number one. And I say this as the guy whose family owns the Bond franchise. He could not act his way out of a fucking paper bag. So it's not <laughs> like we lost some great actor. We lost a guy who looked like he could, you know, objectify women believably. What a shock. You know, like it was just so strange to see people losing their shit over Sean Connery. He's not even the best James Bond. Like it's it's bewildering to me. But anyway. I did I did love him in the Untouchables, though, I will say that. I did like him in that. But role, he was just doing so. he did the same role. He was Sean Connery in everything. He was Sean Connery yeah. when he was Indiana Jones's dad. He was Sean Connery in Finding Forrester. Like he was Sean Connery all the time. He was just Sean Connery. No, who he was not, he was not Patty LaBelle's nephew. He was not Patty. Oh, this is the gift. You know, <laughs> you know, when you, you know, here's the thing. Who would have ever thought after four seasons total landscaping that we would ever get, let alone days later, a story that could beat four seasons total landscaping for absolute insanity. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to do this very quickly because there's just so many layers. So a, um, a Republican former commissioner who lost his seat went on Twitter and tweeted, uh, he, this was the tweet. It was something along the lines of like, it started with I as a gay black man, like don't think Obama really did anything for me. I really love President Trump. And so of course people were like, what is this? And what they figured out pretty early on was that this guy had a fake account that set up to look like a gay black man. Um, and he forgot to tweet from the fake account. Okay, so that's crazy, right? But then, he posts and says, oh, no, somebody sent me this message. And I just basically was passing the message along on Twitter. And so that's what happened. It's really no, it's not a big story. And people are like, you're full of it. Like, that's that's not at all what happened. Then there's a video of presumably a gay black man being like, no, no, he's telling the truth. It's me. I'm the one that sent him the message. I'm real. Um, I'm not, a, you know, there's no sock puppet going on. And, but then people are like, wait a minute, no, you're not. You're not the guy whose name it is that, that says this is, you're this like, you are a conservative black man, but like, you're not that conservative black man. And you're Patty LaBelle's nephew. I it, thought it was her nephew and wasn't he a, her adopted son? He's too? her adopted son. Her sister passed away in 1989 and she adopted him. And look at the thanks she gets, um, frankly, I would... <laughs> I would return him. I mean, Jesus, like it was this story. First of all, it unfolded over a couple of hours, mainly on Twitter. So it, it was I mean, I was riveted. It was the best drama I've seen all year. <laughs> I mean, a plot twist of and it's Patty LaBelle's adopted son slash nephew. I mean, who yeah. could ever? I know? remember I remember a couple of years ago, the NBA star Kevin Durant did the same thing where he was defending Kevin Durant 
from what was supposed <laughs> to be a sock puppet account, but he posted it as Kevin Durant. And it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, at that level, the guy who's one of the like four best players in the game felt like he had to like fight it out with randos on Twitter and uh, use like a fake account to defend himself. Yeah, that story had a lot of twists and turns. Ooh, my favorite part about it was then everybody, because nobody will drag you like Twitter will drag you. I mean, like they are vicious. And so everybody on Twitter started their tweets that day with as a gay black man, like every, <laughs> like, like everybody was tweeting like, you know, as a gay black man, I actually think Gladys Knight isn't that great. Like it was just like oh, everyone was doing it. It was just incredible. I mean, like the here's the thing. And we, I think we talked about this last week about the four seasons total landscape these are the kinds of stories that if that moron had won re-election we it wouldn't be funny it would be like this is this is a travesty like the yeah. fact that this you know but now that he's gone it's it's we can laugh again i mean like republicans are stupid and it's funny because they, one of them just got kicked out of the white house like it's 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 frankly hysterical well the idea too that you know these were the guys that were going to pull off this coup Oh, yeah, the coup. Yeah, they were going to short circuit all the voting and all the mechanisms that are put in place. I mean, it is kind of scary because the disregard for law is just kind of amping up. But in this case, I mean, you know, Trump's flopped at everything he's done. You know, he's always like he hot shots it and then he shits the bed. So, you know, that's no surprise. And now speaking of that, you wanted to talk about where a lot of his supporters have been going lately. They are fleeing Facebook, according to them, and they are going to a brand new platform where they can run free. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So so they a lot of them, you know, a lot of people and I see this people that I know who um, they don't like fact checks. You can never in their <laughs> mind. There's there's literally no fact check if it goes against what they believe. That's accurate. It doesn't matter the source. It just doesn't matter. So. So this, you know, Parler had been started up a while ago as an alternative to Twitter, and they don't bill themselves as a conservative Twitter, but they're more like a free speech version of Twitter. And the, the, I think the ultimate irony to me is like people that went around for years calling everyone else snowflakes are literally like fleeing to their own social media platform because they can't take actual facts. Like it's forcing them to run away and start up their own little island where they can believe anything they want. And, you know, in a short period of time, in like a one week period of time earlier this month, uh, more than two million people installed it from their app stores in the U.S. So it is a sizable number. My favorite part, though, in the last week was a rumor started flying around that parlor was owned by george soros who's the uh, you know the, for the right wing this boogeyman who's apparently cutting checks to me you and everyone else on the left so uh, i haven't gotten my george soros check yet but i'm very george excited soros. but anyway that rumor was flying around which was hilarious to me and uh, and dan bongino the square-headed uh goofball that's always on fox and he's supposedly one of the investors in parlor he had to go on the air and say that that wasn't true. But I just think, you know, I I joke about it, but I'm actually really scared the fact that there's going to be a point in time where there are zero agreed upon facts and people literally are just seeking out their own version of facts. And I just think that that's going to be scary, especially, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. I think that, you know, people were saying, isn't Parler something we should be nervous about because it's going to radicalize people? Look, if people want to be radicalized, they don't need a special platform for it. I mean, they essentially turned Facebook into a radicalization platform. I do notice that all of the conservatives that I know of, um, like who were saying, oh, I'm leaving Parler. It's funny, they didn't delete their Facebook account, which tells you everything you need to know about how successful they think this thing is going to be. 
Um, and so uh, I found that to be very interesting. But, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who never passes the buck on somebody showing their true colors. I just, it's, to me, it's the same as saying video games are going to make kids violent. You know what they were saying 20 years ago. The fact is, um, if you want to be a certain type of person, if you have a certain kind of bigotry in your heart, you can have that whether you're on a deserted island or whether you have a computer in front of you. You know, you're going to find a way to believe what you want to believe. And, 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 and I think now it is a little disturbing that we have maybe so many ways for people to believe what they want to believe. But you I mean, I don't know about you, but like, you know, before all of this, I had relatives growing up who, you know, believe things that had no basis in reality and, and had nothing backing them up. And it didn't change the fact that they believed it. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't, you know, uh, shift things at all for them that they didn't have an official backup. I just think now there are so many more people, you know, like there was a discussion uh, with a family member recently and she stated, she stated with full certainty that Joe Biden has dementia and Kamala Harris is on drugs. And so we said, why is she on drugs? She said, well, she's laughing all the time. So this is definitely <laughs> on drugs. You know, so it's like just the insanity. The thing that I, th I think will doom Parler, and there have been other attempts at sort of like a right-wing Twitter, is just the completely humorless nature of people on the right. You know, so, so you know, there's always... Like, and the oh, fact that they want to be martyrs and they want to be suppressed. Let oh, me tell you, like, like I said... Joe Biden winning is the greatest thing that's ever happened to them, whether they'll admit that or not. Like they they were if you know conservatives and you know what they were like the first two years of the Trump presidency when they had Congress and Trump and the Supreme Court. I mean, they might have seemed happy. They were miserable because they've built their entire identities around being oppressed, falsely oppressed. And so they are going to be the happiest people on earth with Joe Biden in the White House. They finally get, you know, another big bad villain to rage against. And I fully expect them to be on parlor for all of five minutes and get bored because there's nobody to fight with. Or, I mean, like, here's the thing. You put any group of people all in one spot together, start the clock and wait for the infighting. I mean, there is no way. These are the most argumentative people on the face of the earth. There is no way if you lock them all in a platform together that what's going to happen is they're just going to start eating themselves alive. That, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen because they yeah. have to fight with somebody. It's their identity. I do think, though, they will get very bored because, you know, there's a, every few months is an article about and it's on some kind of right wing site about, um, you know, the rise of conservative comedians, you know, like that's going to be like, mm -hmm. how come how come conservative comedians don't get, a, you know, any any play? And I'm like, none of them are even remotely funny. That's the reason. None why. of them are so, funny. So none I think I think funny. people will go to parlor. But after a while, like you can only just stay in the bitch fest for so long. You know what I mean? And then you ha yeah. you actually want to have some like real human interaction after a while. So. So what are your so but speaking your... of comedians? <laughs> <laughs> da -da. All right, go ahead. Da -da, you wanted to talk about Dave Chappelle on SNL. Last yeah, week. here's the thing. Um, SNL is probably right now the worst it's ever been in the history of SNL. And man, is that saying something? Um, it is just the biggest mess I think has ever been put on television. I mean, it's it's just grossly inadequate. That being said, everyone was very excited to tune into SNL uh, to see Dave Chappelle. Um, Dave Chappelle famously hosted SNL, the first SNL after Trump got elected. And now here he was hosting, you know, with him gone. Uh, be, and nobody really talked about it. It kind of came and went. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, some boneheaded NBC thought it would be a great idea not to cut away from a college football game 
so that SNL could air on time. So it ended up airing way later. Right. Huge. I mean, literally Julia Roberts, huge mistake. Um, but then when it finally came on, it was this weird episode where Dave Chappelle wasn't in any of the sketches. He was in like two sketches out of the rest of them. And like, it was bizarre. It was so bizarre. But the monologue that he did, and listen, you can have a lot of problems with Dave Chappelle. He has definitely been transphobic in the past. And there are things he says where I just go, ooh, Dave. But this monologue was so unbelievably brilliant and perfect. Um, it was heartfelt. It was not snarky. Um, it was dangerous in a way that you really want SNL to be dangerous again. Um, and it was just, I mean, I, I just couldn't get, I couldn't stop talking about it. And because it happened the Saturday of the election, it, it kind of just got lost in the shuffle, but go back and watch that monologue. It is something, it's the longest monologue in SNL history. Um, they smartly just let him, you know, go for as long as he wanted to go. And I, I just think it's incredible. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I, I mean, didn't, it no, I, I didn't watch it. The and the, the one thing I've always felt about Chappelle uh, especially in the stand-up, I don't find him like gut-bustingly funny. Like I, you know, there are plenty of other comedians that I watch where I'll laugh out loud. I usually don't laugh out loud, but he definitely is a sort of like wants to get into deeper topics. So the moment talk about the things. moment that I loved because I knew this was going to rattle people, especially my fellow gays, who, as we all know, are have a great sense of humor. Um, and they, of course, were up in arms the next day. He had that great joke about when Trump got COVID. You know, it's kind of like when Freddie Mercury got AIDS. You weren't wondering how he got it. Yeah. <laughs> now, the brilliant thing about that joke, because immediately gays were on Twitter being like, man, man, man. The brilliant thing about that joke is there's nothing offensive about that joke whatsoever. Nothing. There's nothing offensive about it. There is nothing offensive to say that if a unquestionably gay man came down with AIDS in the 90s or, or, you know, got AIDS in the 90s. You weren't saying like, how, you know? And so there's nothing dangerous, but he knows, see, he loves to play with the fact that he knows that's going to cause outrage just because he's using AIDS in a sentence. You know, he's the juxtaposition of the joke. Um, I mean, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And, and it has that like oof moment where it takes you a second to be like, oh, God, should I be? Is that funny? Should he be saying that? Yeah, I, I was hit and, the same way. It took a second. And the crowd was sort of just silent, you know? And it just it took, because a, second, like, it took a second what a tight to sink rope. in. Yeah, I mean, that joke is a tightrope, man. I mean, I just was so impressed by him. And like I said, everyone who has issues with him, I think, has very legitimate issues. But, man, I just found that, that so interesting. So, you know... Um, it's interesting. I noticed that one of the things you wanted to talk about. So I no longer watch Grey's Anatomy, but um, I used to watch Grey's Anatomy. And I know this week was a big, big like plot twist on Grey's. But that's not what you want to talk about. You wanted to talk about something that Ellen Pompeo says she wasn't allowed to say on Grey's Anatomy. Right. Now, right? I'll be honest with you. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. I've never. I, the most shows in the last 20 years I haven't watched. That's one thing you you already know about me is that I'm not. I can't watch shows. Yeah. I just can't make that kind of commitment. But she said that early on, she was not allowed to say vagina on Grey's Anatomy, but they could say penis all the time. And she said that the showrunner for Grey's Anatomy, uh, Shonda Rhimes, made up the term vajayjay at that time. And that's what they used on the show, which I always thought that was Oprah came up with that, but apparently it was a Grey's Anatomy creation. But what I was interested in as relates to that is 
where are we right now in what you can say on network TV and what you can't say? Because it seems like you could say asshole. You could say shit. Um, I don't know what else you can and can't say on regular TV. I don't know. Do they let you say shit on network TV now? I, think, I well, still I thought was, they weren't I, letting you I, say. I hate to say this, but I was watching... Well, I was watching wrestling the other day, mm-hmm. and someone said shit. Now, that's not like watching Masterpiece Theater, I know, but I think... Yeah, but wrestling's not on... See, network is still like Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC. Like, those are okay. networks, the network. And everything else is cable. So it, the only things that are still... Con- like, the bastions of network television uh, and the CW. I'm sorry, the CW. But it's basically CW, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS. So I believe you can say ass, but you actually can't say asshole. I don't know. But um, do you, you can. What do you remember? What's your earliest memory of watching something with one of your parents? And it was either offensive, either words being used or like sexual situations or something where you were sitting with your parents and you wanted to like evaporate. Oh, I think I, t- I talked about this on an early episode, but it's how um, my mom thought if anything had a child or an animal in it, that it was appropriate for children to watch. <laughs> and so like, look, look who's talking, which is a fundamentally adult movie. It is not for children. I mean, like it's but you can understand how my mother at the time would have been like, oh, talking baby movie like that must be fine <laughs> for kids. And in the first half hour, they use the words lesbian and um, artificial insemination. Nice. And so, of course, like as a little kid, I was like, lesbian, artificial insemination. <laughs> like, just like, I mean, they're such fun words. Um, and I remember my mom being like, oh, my God. Oh, my, you know, I feel so bad because like back then, you know, you couldn't Google and see if something was appropriate. <laughs> you just can't, you really. Now, that being said my mom could have been one of those parents who watched everything first and then showed it to me, but she had no time for that. So she would just put stuff on and be like, okay, cross your fingers. I remember when Um, my parents get divorced, my father used to come like, I don't know, once a month, you know, once every few weeks and take me out. And I remember I was about 12 and he took me to go see the movie animal house. And, Mm -hmm. you know, back then, so we're talking the late seventies, like it wasn't that easy to see like moving pictures of nudity. You know what I mean? It was like, it was just at the advent of the VCR, which, you know, they could, they were super expensive back then. They were like the size of a Buick and they were really expensive. And so he took me. And if you remember, there was a ton of nudity in that movie. And, uh, and I just remember my father didn't care because he didn't care about anything. I remember being, <laughs> let me just say, I was very excited to see Animal House. Uh, basically, on the, I was on the verge of puberty. It was, uh, it was uh, one of my more enjoyable moments with my old man. I will say that it was very interesting. I vividly remember the first time I ever saw a gay man in a movie or TV show was um greg kinnear in as good as it gets oh, wow like where he was just like a normal gay person playing or he you know he was the neighbor yeah and i remember like and i think this would have been true regardless of who it was but i remember being madly in love with greg kinnear for like 10 or 15 <laughs> years after that like because it was just because he i mean no, he's I, lovely in that I movie it, yeah. he's a he's a very he's attractive guy but it was just, I mean, I think it would be the equivalent of like the first, like, again, like maybe the first like naked woman you see or something yeah. where you're just like enamored. You're like, what is but this? But in general, being in and love like with the, Greg yeah. Kinnear is like, that's like being in love with like a white toast. You know what I mean? Like it's. Little... Oh, yeah. I mean, now it's kind of like, eh. but I remember watching the soup religiously after that <laughs> being like, oh, there Actually, he is. He was pretty good on that. You know, um, 
Oh, I used the old soup was great, but All right, um, so you want to talk so about move, the move, lockdown, moving right along, right? I just want to say briefly, literally, this is going to be five seconds long. I truly, I truly don't understand how we are worse off now than we were in March, but we are taking zero of the precautions in Rhode Island that we took in March when things weren't as bad. That's, I cannot rectify. I don't understand the economic argument because look, we are going to a shutdown. We are heading to a shutdown. The question is, do we want to shut down now and get it out of the way and get this thing under control? Or do we want to wait until it is so out of control that we don't have any say, not only in having a shutdown, but how long the shutdown lasts? It is, I am so fed up and infuriated. And to be clear, I'm not fed up or infuriated with people who aren't wearing their masks, people who are, listen, people are going to do whatever you let them do. I am very mad at the people who ha- who have the ability to say, okay, never mind, everybody in your house, two weeks done. You know, I, I just don't understand. So are you talking primarily I'm, I'm about like, completely are you battled. talking primarily about restaurants, stores, schools, that kind of stuff? Yeah, everything. We need, like, we should be in our homes for two weeks. Yeah. done like no, like nothing but essential stuff and i am just i don't know why we didn't do this in september my feeling is that like you know we got through the summer we had our little summer economy boost and it it seemed like okay the summer's over let's do two weeks and kind of you know quarantine everybody you know almost as a way of like you know as a response to the summer and we never did that because it was like, oh, no, everything's going great, even though all the evidence on the table said, oh, no, things are going to get very bad very soon. And in my mind, we didn't do nearly enough to mitigate Halloween and the fact that people were going to pull shit for Halloween. And I'm just so and I understand this isn't like me bashing the governor. I know that for every person like me, there's 10 more people saying, you know, let us walk around and sneeze on each other. It's our God given right. <laughs> but I, I just think <laughs> I just think the reality of it is like we we need we need leadership really badly. And I, I, the economic argument makes no sense to me. It's just it's just passing the buck down the line. I just wonder at what point do people like I know I've, you know, in the last six months kept my circle like really, really small. It's like my kids and my mom, you know what I mean? And my girlfriend. But yeah. but that's it. And at what point do people that are kind of following the rules just start to get pissed at all these assholes who aren't? Oh, um, they're already there. Yeah, but like, they're already like, there. But the thing is, at yeah. what point do you just, but like, just yeah. fucking hate those people? Like, can we just get this over with and move on? You know, I mean, I had a. But here's the thing. If you look at somebody like me, though, right? Like, I have to go into work because I'm told I have to go into yeah. work. Everybody, you know, without without a gov- without the government saying, look, if you're if your business is an essential, your employees are staying home, then you can't blame those people. And what it does is it creates this feeling of, well, if I have to go to work every day, how are you going to tell me I can't go to a bar after work? I mean, if it's dangerous for, if it's dangerous to go to a bar, why isn't it dangerous for me to go into my office? Why isn't it dangerous for me to open up, you know, Michael's or Home Depot? Like, that's the problem. If the government is insinuating that, oh yeah, I mean, we're willing to put you at risk for retail, then you can't get mad at people when they go, well, if you're willing to have me risk my life for retail, I don't see how much more dangerous it's going to get if I go to Olive Garden after work. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just it's sending really mixed messages. And this has been happening since March. Even in March, the governor, the governor was not telling government workers to stay home. 
we did not, we've never ever been in a place where we were only letting essential workers go to work ever. We never did that. We never had a full lock. Are you ever in a position? And so you can ever like look at like your home watching TV or a movie and you see just very pedestrian things happening, like people walking down the street, touching and And hugging. And you're like, what's going on? (laughs) Firstly, like you go, don't do that. And then you're like, you just get like super nostalgic. You're like, oh, remember that when you could go to a farmer's market or, you know, a concert or whatever oh yeah even watching like food network and seeing people like cooking and then like eating in front of each other (laughs) like like an an inch away from each other it's bizarre totally but speaking of eating as we come to our final segment where it's kind of a grab bag and we we talk about you know we take one topic and just go back and forth i said let's just talk about thanksgiving a little brett so um you know it's going to be an interesting thanksgiving this year it's been a truly horrific year in many ways with like a little with like a little like strange kind of boost of happiness with this election. But, um, you know, I love Thanksgiving. I think it probably, I love Christmas, but I think Thanksgiving probably is my favorite holiday only because everybody celebrates it. It's not a, you know, it's this, it's this holiday that we all sort of get behind. And it just, it has like a really nice message, I think of, you know, being, but I I love that time of year. I love food. I love stuffing. Um, I wanted to know what your favorite, I love stuffing. I want to know what your favorite Thanksgiving dish is. It is stuffing, but I'm going to share a story, a Thanksgiving story, if it's all right. So, so when I was growing up, um, my father had one brother and that brother was gay. And so this was, you know, in the seventies, like it wasn't just as, it wasn't as open, you know what I mean? Like, so We'd go over his house and he'd have like five or six guy friends over, you know, it was the mid seventies, like a lot of mustaches and like white man afros and a lot of chest hair and tight pants. And, eh, you know, I kind of knew something was going on. I kind of didn't. But anyway, we would go over my uncle's house for holidays on occasion. And so one Thanksgiving, we were there in the morning for some reason, maybe we were helping to cook or something like that. And my uncle started making pancakes And so I decided I was I was going to because I loved pancakes. So I was going to and I was really, really skinny as a kid, like super scrawny. And I I remember I was 13 years old and I remember I ate 13 pancakes. And I remember I literally spent the next eight hours in the bathroom, just like explosive (sighs) diarrhea and didn't have one. Didn't have anything that was Thanksgiving related that day. Didn't have a drumstick, no stuffing, nothing, because I had eaten 13 pancakes and I probably weighed about 85 pounds. So that's this what- is maybe the ninth story I've heard from you about, like, you'll never believe how much I ate that time. Yeah. Like, you have an endless amount of these stories. Yeah. You just, you have, like, oh, well, that was great. <laughs> this, was a, this was great. Sorry. Um, th- that Happy will, Thanksgiving, That will be our Kev. last grab. That will be our last grab bag we ever do for this podcast. From now on, everything will be regulated within an inch of its life on every damn day. Um, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but honestly, we, we want to. No, it was great. It was fantastic. So um, we want to thank you all for listening. We're thankful for you. Um, we will be back next week. Make sure to like and comment to hear more horrifying Brett Davy food stories. Um, I'm scared of what Christmas will bring truly at this point. I hope he, I hope he never tried like, like a gallon of pudding or something, (laughs) but um, make sure to like comment, tell your friends about the podcast and we will see you again on every damn.